Well, good morning and welcome to Hershey Free Church, everybody. Thanks for joining us on this dreary February morning. Uh, good news is it's supposed to get into the 50s, I heard today. Um, I, I, I give up on Pennsylvania weather. <laughs> like, for real. Like, it's supposed to get into the 50s and then we're supposed to get like 50 mile per hour winds this evening. Go home, February. We don't want you anymore, right? But thank you so much for being here. My name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And we're so thankful that you've come, that you've braved the elements of our confused weather to be here with us this morning. Uh, We are continuing our series in the book of Mark. We're calling this series Follow. We started this in the beginning of the year. And we are going to come to a conclusion in this series on Easter Sunday. We are studying the life of Jesus as it's told to us from the Gospel of Mark. And we are looking at what it means when when Jesus comes in and breaks all the barriers, all the norms, and challenges us to be radically different. And so this morning, we're going to be continuing in this. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 7. And I would invite you, if you have your Bibles, if you have a tablet or an app, um, if you have a Bible from the pew in front of you, to go ahead and open up. We're going to be in Mark chapter 7. If you don't or somebody stole the Bible in front of you, don't worry, we'll have it on the screens as well. Uh, But we're going to be in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. I would just invite you to follow along as I read this for us this morning. Mark writes, So the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, they gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and of kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Jesus replied to them, you know, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it's written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You've let go of the commands of God and you're holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and he said, listen to me, everyone and understand this. Nothing outside of a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. Jesus said, are you so dull? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into the heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. And in saying this, Jesus declared that all foods were clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Jesus is continuing in his ministry career in this moment. 
He's out and he's teaching the people. And we again, we, we're confronted with three groups of people that are present as Jesus is teaching. We have the crowds who are following him everywhere. They want to learn. They want to hear what he has to say. They just kind of go with the flow. We have the disciples who are really seeking to learn. And they're wanting to grow. And then we have the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And these are the people who hate Jesus. They really don't like him. Every time they hear him teach, they get angry. They try to find ways to trap him. They're trying to figure out how can we get this guy out of our turf. They really don't like him. Which is really interesting to me. Because for a group of people that don't like somebody, they sure hang out with him a lot. I mean, I don't know about you guys. Like, I don't know if this is like true confessions of a pastor. I don't know. But like, if there's somebody I don't like, I don't go out of my way to hang out with them. These guys are like, oh, I like him. Let's follow him. Right? And it's like, um, I don't think that word means what you think it means. Right? And they, they keep going. They're like, all right, look, we got him. We got him. And like, Jesus, we, we got you this time. Um, your boys, they didn't wash their hands. It's gross. Right? And then, like, I get this. Like, I totally understand this. Like, I, again, you know, I'm going to be real and vulnerable with you guys and hope that you don't, you don't misuse what I'm about to tell you. Um, I'm a closet germaphobe, all right? Do I have any other germaphobes here? Like some of you are willing to admit that and be like, yes, I'm gonna trust people. Others of you are smart. Cause you know, you know the person sitting next to you, if they find out the truth, when you're at lunch, they're gonna go. You're gonna finish it? No, we're not, cause it's gross. Nobody's gonna touch that, it's nasty. You don't want your spit, right? Or like when I go out to eat, all right, if I touch a menu, like I sound crazy, I know this. Like if I touch a menu, okay, after I politely hand it back to the waitress and she has turned away, I'm like, I need to Purell up. I'm like, like the whole bottle is dripping on the table, like I'm bathing in it. And people are like, you're psycho. I I know, right? But I'm like, for me, it's like, I'm concerned. It's like, I don't want to die. I don't know who touched that menu. I don't know if they went to the restroom beforehand and didn't wash. That's gross. I don't want that. Ain't nobody got time for that, right? We don't want that. And in that moment, like, that is not what the Pharisees are doing. They are not concerned about the health and well-being of Jesus' disciples. They are concerned that they are not following tradition. And it's like, hold up. What? You, your tradition is that they have to wash their hands. That's just commonplace. But here's what happened. In the Old Testament, God gave laws to the nation of Israel. He said, do this, don't do that, right? Well, the religious leaders at that time said, hmm, well, we're going to set up laws to protect you from breaking the law. That might be a law that protects you from breaking the law, gets you close to God's law. Confused? So were the Israelites. Because their religious leaders had set up all these different rules and laws to keep them from even getting close to God's law. They had set up all these traditions and ways of living to protect, according to them, the nation of Israel. And what they had actually done is, so here is God's law. They said, our laws are equal to or greater than God's laws. And so in this moment, when they come to Jesus and they're like, hey, your boys aren't washing their hands. Jesus is like, man, you guys are hypocrites. You can't even follow the rules that we gave to you, that God gave to you. You instead are angry because they're not following your laws? Who are you? 
you're a human. And he calls them out and he's like, look, I'm just going to let you know. Isaiah prophesied about you guys. He said that you guys are going to lead people down this road of just simply following tradition, not following what I have called them to. And he gives us this example. He's like, look, you actually are willing to say, don't honor your parents. Like the Bible tells us, honor your father and mother. And you're willing to say, well, you know, if your parents are old and they need financial help for you, you know, to make it. Well, if you say you're going to give that to God, you don't need to help your parents anymore. They can just die. And he goes, what kind of jacked up people are you? How dare you manipulate my law for your own well-being? And he calls him out. He's like, this is not okay. You should not be living this way. And he directly challenges them. And he calls him out and he's like, look, it's not about what's outside the body that defiles you, about what you eat or drink. It's about what's within. But then before the story keeps going, we need to address something within the text. If you have your Bible or your app or whatever it may be, do me a favor, see if you have verse 16. I would wager that most of us probably don't have it in the general text. It might be a footnote, perhaps it's in parentheses or in the study notes if you have a study Bible. And what I want to do is instead of just like kind of glossing it over and hoping you don't notice that there's a verse missing from the Bible, I want to address that briefly. Because what happens, what you need to understand is that when New Testament scholars go to interpret scripture, their desire is to get as close to the original text as possible. So they go back to the oldest scrolls that we can find, the oldest manuscripts that we have. And in so doing, what they have found in the oldest of the manuscripts, verse 16 is not present. Is it 16 or 17? I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. 16. Okay, I heard somebody say 17. I'm like, I'm crazy. Right? But verse 16 isn't present. And they're going, well, why not? And here's the thing. You ever play the game telephone? Right? And all of a sudden you start kind of going down the line, all of a sudden stuff kind of gets added in, and you go from, hey, I want to talk to you, and you get, hey, there's a monkey with a banana, right? And you sit there, and what happens is the, the New Testament scholars said, we want to be as close to the literal translation of the New Testament as possible. And so they went to the oldest book of Mark, and they found it, and they said, we're going to stay to this. But because this shows up in later traditions, in later copies of the New Testament, They've kept it as a footnote to show us as the readers that they're doing due diligence to get us as close to the original word of God as possible. And saying, you know what, we're going to recognize that it started coming in a little bit later. And so we're just going to put it down there because if it is supposed to be part of the Bible, we want to include it. But we want you to know that we've gone all the way back and we've studied this and diligently have looked to make it as clear as possible for you. And if you have more questions on this, if you're like, wow, that's really interesting, I want to know more, I'm going to point you to our resident New Testament scholar, George Davis. Because um, he's a lot smarter than I could ever hope to be. Uh, but in all seriousness, if you would like to talk to any of us about this and to get more information about text criticism, how it's done, how we go into the Greek, the Hebrew, and the Aramaic to actually understand why this is the way it is, we would love to talk to you guys about it. But I wanted to address that rather than just kind of gloss over and go, mm, hope you don't see it. But to give you some stuff just to think about as we keep going, to know that without a shadow of a doubt that we have as close to the original word of God as humanly possible. And that people are diligently striving to give that to us. So as we keep going then in the story, uh, Jesus has called out the Pharisees like, you guys, you are hypocrites. What you are doing is wrong. And he begins to teach the crowd. And he's like, hey, I want you to understand. It's not what you take in that defiles you. What's in your heart defines who you are. 
And as he teaches this, he wraps up and he walks into the house. And this is, I, I love the disciples. The disciples are like my buds because I feel like I would respond in the same way. Because after following tradition and rules for their entire life, for this being what the nation of Israel is all about, they come up to Jesus and they're like, hey, great job. Love the sermon. Have no idea what you meant. What do you mean? And Jesus is like, are you so dull? It's like, come on, guys. I can't spell it out anymore. What you eat and drink does not define who you are. And he begins to explain to him. He's like, look, who you are is shaped by what's in your heart. He says, what is in your heart defines who we are. And he goes on and he's like, because of this, all foods are clean. Which is good because now we can eat bacon. I don't know if you don't realize this or not, but the Israelites could not have bacon. They were suffering. Now we can. Praise God. Sermon done, right? But no, seriously. He goes, this is the reality that you need to understand is that because of this, I have told you it's not what you take in. It is what is inside of you that defines who you are. What is in your heart is going to manifest itself and to showcase itself to the entirety of the world because of how you live, act, and react. And so as we look at this passage, what I want to do this morning is to unpack this just a little bit more. To look at some observations, to talk about our hearts, and to look at, okay, what do we do with this? And the first observation that, I, that we have to understand from the text is this, is that this passage is not a blanket justification for doing whatever you want. This passage is not saying, hey, go out and do whatever you want because God, God said it's clean. This is not an excuse for us to go out and get drunk, to go out and be gluttons, or to say everything's permissible because grace. That is not what this passage is saying. In fact, I would argue that is a poor, a poor interpretation of this passage. It's actually called eisegesis. That's when you read into the text. You read your own thoughts, your own traditions, your own desires into the text to get the answer you want. And that is 100% wrong. What we need to be doing is exegesis, which is actually taking the text and allowing it to speak in our lives and to shape us as followers of Jesus Christ. And so when we read this passage, Jesus is not saying, go and do what you want. He's saying, no, it's about what's within. It's about who you are. Just because you eat bacon doesn't make you a horrible person. It's about what's in the heart. And we know this because if we actually cross-reference this with another gospel passage in, Mark, or in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, it says this, for where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. You see, Jesus again is saying it's about the heart. Your heart is going to be the manifestation of what you hold dear. It's going to be the declarative statement of what you value most. It's not what you eat or drink. It's what is here because that's what you value. And so what we come to understand then is what we hold to be most dear, what we keep within our heart, will manifest itself then through our thoughts, our actions, and our reactions. And I'm going to repeat that because I think we need to hear this a couple of times. What we hold to be most dear will manifest itself through our thoughts, our actions, and our reactions. Think about the Pharisees and what they held most dear. Tradition and laws. And when you get to the root of it, it was pride and a love of self. My way, Jesus, not yours. 
That's a bad place to be in life. And everything about them showcased that. You want to know why they followed Jesus? Why they so desperately wanted him to fail? Because it's all about them and what they wanted. They were willing to even hang out with the person that they couldn't stand. Because in their heart, it was all about them. And how else can they get Jesus to fail unless they're with him? What is in our hearts will manifest itself through our actions, our thoughts, and our reactions. For the good or the negative. But it goes even further, and I think we need to understand this, is that our rules and laws, our traditions do not supersede the cross and the grace that Christ gives. And we need to hear this. We need to hear this very loudly. Tradition does not supersede the cross. Presuppositions, obligations do not supersede the cross. Just because it's the way it's been done for years does not supersede the cross and the grace that Christ offers us. There is nothing that supersedes Christ from a humanity perspective. We are human. He is God. And when we start allowing for tradition and obligation and presupposition to take hold in our lives, to be what we hold to be most dear... I would assert that's why people run from the church. Because when they see Christians, who as Pastor George talked about last week as hypocrites or as jerks, when they see them that way, I would assert it's because most of those people are not following Jesus. They're following tradition and a religion. We are not called to that. We are called to a relationship to be like Jesus Christ. And what happens is when people see that, they turn and they run. Our tradition means nothing compared to the cross. So when we look at people, we shouldn't look at them like the Pharisees did. We don't see people who didn't wash their hands. We see people who desperately need a savior. When we see people who don't dress the way that we do, we don't see people who we judge. We see people who have to understand who Christ is, when we see people who go to a restaurant that has a bar in it and we instantly judge them as we're sitting at that bar, we need to understand that our traditions do not supersede the cross. For you see, Christ came for us to set us free from the laws that bind us. But all this starts here. All this starts with our hearts because, honestly, if we allow for tradition to hold itself dear in our heart, we're going to follow tradition and we're going to see it manifest in ways that we can never imagine. If we hold to a love of self, it's going to showcase itself to the world. If we hold to Christ, people will see that. So what does that mean for our hearts? First, how you approach the circumstance is key. How you approach the circumstance is key. You see, we can approach it either as the Pharisees or as the disciples. Two vastly different people groups. The Pharisees came looking to accuse, to break down, and to highlight self. And the disciples came longing to learn and to know. And so when you find yourself perhaps in a circumstance where we are quick to judge, maybe perhaps instead of being quick to judge... 
we step back and we go, okay, God, what do, you, what do I need to do? What does your word say over tradition? We need to approach the circumstance in a way that shows humility and respect towards God. And in so doing, we allow him then to shape our interactions, our reactions, and our thoughts as we engage with other people. And what that means for us then is that what is in your heart will radically alter your life. And this, 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 this can be a hard statement to hear in some ways because it, it forces us to have to look inward. Because when we look in our hearts, you know, sometimes we have to be honest with ourselves about where we're at. Because here's the thing. If your heart is truly centered on Christ, it is going to radically alter your world for the better. Everything you do, everything you say, everything you think will be a manifestation of the glory of God. Because when people see you and how you respond or don't respond, they're going to see Jesus. If you hold something else near and dear in your heart, it's going to radically alter how you engage life. If you hold advancement at work near and dear to your heart, everybody sees it. By the countless hours you put in, your desire to advance over everybody else, your willingness to go to your boss to do whatever it takes. If, you're will, if your desire is to always be right because you have to be number one, it's going to show itself at home. In your conversations, your arguments, your desperate attempt to always get the last word in, your desire to always be right. What we hold most dear in our hearts will radically shape our lives for the better or for the worse. What do you hold dear? This is a question that many of us, myself included, I need, need to do a lot of thinking on. And I would encourage you to do that this week. Because when you do this, what you're going to understand is that it has to radically change who you are. Because when it's about me, instead of about he, I would argue that we miss out on the mission of Christ. When our hearts are centered on me, like the Pharisees were, when it was all about who they are, they missed out on what God was calling us to. God came into this world for the sick, for the hurting and the broken, and he ministered to them. He went and gasped, he ate with sinners, and he died on the cross for them and defeated death. And in that moment, he came up and he's like, hey, guess what? Here's your mission now. Go and tell everybody. Tell them the good news, the gospel. That all they have to do is believe in their hearts and confess with their mouth that I am Lord, that I have defeated death, and I've got the rest. You see, but when it becomes about me instead of about he, we miss out on that mission. I would actually assert that we miss out on the joy of telling people about Jesus. And I think that happens. I think that happens because we become complacent. We become okay with the status quo. We're willing to let tradition speak for itself. We are willing to simply stand by. And I think what happens here is we do this because we are quick to cast judgment. 
And if we are quick to cast judgment, we forget how desperately we need Jesus Christ. You see, if we are more about me instead of about he, we miss out on the mission. And when we miss out on the mission, we are quick to look at people and to judge them based upon what we assume they are. We look at them, we go, that is who that person is, that is who that person is, because of how you dress, where you go to eat, what, cl- what clothes you've picked out, what friends you have. Gasp. You drink coffee or alcohol? Ooh. Might not be a Christian. And I think what happens is we do that because we forget. We forget how desperately broken we are. Just because we follow Jesus does not make us healed. We are becoming healed through this process called sanctification. We are becoming like Christ. Just because we follow Jesus, you are not perfect in that moment. Because you follow Jesus, you are being made like him. We can never forget how broken and how desperately we need a savior. Because the second we do that is the second we look at the world and we go, we're better. And we allow for that tradition, that thought process to take hold. And again, I would assert that is what has driven more people away from churches around the world than anything else. Is when it becomes about me, my traditions, my values. And that takes hold over the gospel. Maybe this morning you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, there's people like that. Not me, those other people. Eh, Kind of judgment. Um, Or perhaps, let let me maybe paint some examples for you. Maybe this morning you were driving in. And as you're driving in, you're like, wow, it's 50 degrees in February. Yay. You see somebody with Christmas decorations still up. And you go, hmm, December 26th, mine were down. Mm-hmm. And we instantly throw shade, right? And we're like, nope, can't do it, can't do it. Or, or maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at work when you're standing there and you watch somebody else get promoted, you watch somebody else receive accolade, you watch somebody else be uplifted for what they've done, and the first thought that enters your mind is not, wow, God, yes, thank you for what you've done in their life and for allowing this to happen. The first thought is, I know how he talks about his wife. I've heard his mouth. His work ethic is garbage. He's never on time. Or maybe, maybe it's at home. And it manifests itself by how we engage with our spouse or our kids. I always have to prove them wrong. It's always got to be my way. Or maybe it's at school. As everybody else is picking on the one student, and rather than stepping back and approaching the circumstances Jesus would, we join in because everybody else is. And we cast judgment upon that person, kind of like this. I want you all to look your best tomorrow. You don't have a chance with her. You're eight years old and you have a beard. Has everyone given their gifts? I haven't.
floor to me. Why do you have a bag on your head? Probably because he's embarrassed by that idiot's gift. Mr. Grinch, please take the bag off. Yes, you take it off. Put the book down. And your foot. Look at that hack job. <laughs> If you're not familiar with this Grinch, I would encourage you to go home. I know it's after Christmas. It's okay. Um, and to watch this. But it's interesting here because I think this paints a very clear picture of what happens when we allow ourselves to cast judgment on people. If you know the story, what happens is the Grinch is brought into Whoville as a child. And clearly he does not fit inside their cute little box. He's clearly the outcast. He's tormented, he's picked on, people cast judgment on him. Why? Because he's different. And they look at him and the who's begin to mock him. And it's interesting that this is all centered around Christmas. Because as this happens, as they, they push this young little Grinch out of their community, the last thing he proclaims is, I hate Christmas. But then, it's interesting, if you know the story, uh, little Lucy Lou Who, who was no more than two, right, pursues the Grinch and runs after him to show him the true meaning of Christmas. And because of her diligence to show him what it's truly like to be a Who, who lives in light of what Christmas is all about, the Grinch's life is radically changed. Imagine if Lucy Lou Who or somebody else had stepped up in that moment. We wouldn't even have the story of the Grinch. And it's interesting because when you think about it, what, what the who's are most excited about is Christmas. And when you think about what the message of Christmas is, it's interesting, is it not? Because it's Christ. And I think what happens so often in our lives is that we allow for our judgments, our traditions and presuppositions push people away because they don't fit into our cute little box. But we are not called to fit into a cute little box. We're called to be Christians. And I think what we must understand, what we must understand is that Christianity, Christianity is about following Jesus, not about taking issue with what someone eats or drinks, where they go, or what news channel they watch. It's about Christ. And if we simply allowed for that to dictate our interactions, our relationships, our conversations with others, it would be a vastly different world. If we allowed for Christ to be Christ and our traditions to be shaped by him, 
we would have vastly different conversations with people. It's not about where somebody goes to eat. It's not about what they drink. It's not about what news channel they watch, how they dress. It's about Christ. If we stop taking issue with tradition, imagine what would change. I think as we read this text, there's some questions that come to mind, and and these are questions that truly are heart questions for all of us. And I want you to know that even as I, I stand up here preaching this this morning, this passage could not ring more true in my own life. And this was one of those where you get up to preach, you're like, okay, God, you're gut checking me on this. And so hear me as somebody who's walking alongside of you in this, who understands what this means, how we have to look and assess our lives. And the first thing that we need to do, the first question we need to consider is this, is that if you find yourself saying a Christian wouldn't do this or wouldn't go there, ask yourself, what is this rooted in? As somebody who grew up in an ultra-conservative, fundamental background, it is very easy for me to cast judgment. It's very easy for me to look at somebody critically and to forget the grace that Christ offers. And when we ask ourselves, what is this rooted in? We are looking into our hearts to come to an understanding of is this rooted in tradition or upbringing or is this rooted in Christ? Because here's the truth you need to hear. Christ didn't come to die on the cross to bind you. He came to set you free. And we need to hear that. We need to hear that that rules and traditions, upbringing and presuppositions do not define who we are. It is the cross. Because in that moment when Jesus declared all things are clean, he declared all people clean when he died and shed blood for those who believe. And what we must come to an understanding of this morning is it's not these rules and traditions that hold us down and allow us to judge others. It is this understanding that because of Christ, we are different. And we can point people to him and show him that. So if you find yourself saying this, ask yourself, what is this rooted in? And the next question I would ask you is this, is are you looking to do rather than be. I don't know about you guys, I'm a really good doer. You give me a job description, I will meet that job description. You say be on time, I'm gonna be early. Right, I'm crazy, I know. I'm gonna be early. You say I need this task accomplished, I will do it to the best of my ability. Guess what? We're not called to do Christianity. We're called to be Christians. We are called to be Christ followers. We are called to be like Christ. That is our calling. We are not simply looking for behavior modification. We are looking for heart transformation. That is a hallmark characteristic of who Jesus Christ calls us to be. Followers of his. We are not looking to modify behavior. We are looking for heart transformation. This could take place at home, at work, in school, wherever. This is who we are. When we look at young children, we go, 
don't touch the stove. Maybe instead of saying, don't touch the stove, we bring them alongside and we say, let me explain to you why not. Because if you touch the stove, you're going to burn yourself. It's going to hurt real bad. We'll have to put this ooey-gooey ointment on there. Wrap it up, take it to the hospital. Probably won't be able to use your hand. You might lose nerve endings. Some of you are like, I would, wow. My mind just goes, right? But the reality is like if we stop for a moment and we approach it as not just behavior modification of don't do this, but we said, let me explain to you the why. If people look at us and go, you live different, you look, yes, let me explain why. Let me tell you about the saving power of the blood of Christ and how that sets me free. I don't have to worry about those rules of the Old Testament anymore and how I am God's and God's alone and you can be too. If we look for heart transformation over behavior modification, we will have people who don't stick to tradition. We will have people who stick to Christ. And that is what we are called to be, is Christ followers. We are Christians because of Christ, not because of tradition or the rules we follow. We are Christians because of what he did for us. So this morning as we get ready to close, as we get ready to head home, are you looking to do or are you looking to be? When people see you, what do they see manifested from your heart? Do they see Christ or something else? Jesus doesn't call us to a passive faith. He challenges us to live radically different. That's what the Gospel of Mark is pointing us towards. Will you pray with me? Awesome God, we are so thankful that even in our own pride and arrogance at times that you do not forget us, that you do not walk away from us, but rather you pursue us and run after us all the more. Father, I pray for all of us, myself included, that this morning, this coming week, and for the rest of our lives, God, that we shed our love of selves, and we look to model you to love others as you love them. Father, help me every day to make it about you and not about me. Help all of us to do that, to, to let go of tradition and to grab hold of the truth of the gospel. Let people see Jesus in everything we do, say, and think. And we ask this in your name. Amen.